0: Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to another episode of the Be Unbound podcast. My name is David Rethemeyer and I am joined by my co-host Abraham Chen. This is episode number 65, and it is an episode of Unbound Conversations where we get to have on guests, where we get to talk to them about some of their experiences and uh, how an Unbound perspective has informed that. And Abe, this week, we are very, very excited about a very special guest that we have to round out this season of the podcast. Tell us a little bit about David Hazel.
1: Yes. So, David, I don't know about you, but I definitely grew up listening to missionary stories, to Mm -hmm. stories like Brother Andrew, God smuggler, of being a missionary in Soviet or communist countries, smuggling Bibles, doing Bible translation and all these things. Mm -hmm. We were privileged to hear today from David Hazel, someone who's done that in real life. Uh, He is a man who has done so, so much. For some of you listening who are homeschooled families or have been homeschooled, you might know David from his curriculum that he co-founded with his wife, My Father's World. It has blessed so many families around the world. It's a curriculum from pre-K, I believe, all the way through high school. But he started, as I mentioned, as a missionary. He is the founder of God's Word for the Nations, has been involved in Bible translation, and mission work for many many years especially serving in russia early on and now serves running my father's world and many other ministries that
0: all support the mission field yeah so very very much looking forward to that conversation and we hope that you are as well so without further ado please enjoy our conversation with david hazel Hello, welcome back to an
1: episode of Unbound Conversations. A very special welcome to our CEO, Jonathan Brush, and our guest today, Mr. David Hazel. So, Jonathan, can you go ahead and uh, introduce our guest today?
2: Yeah, this is a distinct pleasure to be able to introduce uh, David on our podcast today. He has a lot of influence in my life in a couple different ways, most of which he didn't know so much about. Uh, My family has used the My Father's World Curriculum which is a company that David and his wife have founded and run uh, for many years. And so they were really influential in our homeschooling journey for the education of our children. I've also heard David speak many times at homeschool conferences across the country, and that was influential in some of the things that um, we did from an education perspective. Uh, Then most recently, uh, David was somebody who was instrumental uh, in making Unbound work. Uh, He was one of the key people that allowed us to continue on after some of the changes we've had uh, in July of 2020 that most of you know about. And uh, I'm delighted and honored to say that David is also one of the board members for Unbound. And so he continues to be a direct mentor and a guide for both Unbound and myself personally. Most recently, my wife, Karen and I were at David's uh, place in Missouri um, and we were there for a vision retreat weekend. And um, I have to say that not only did I get some immediate things out of that, but I found myself, even as, as recently as yesterday, taking a long walk down by the river here, uh, thinking over some of the things that I had learned and had been discussed at the Vision Weekend, and so that continues to be really influential in, in my life as well as in our lives as Karen and I have continued discussing those things. So all of those means that it is a distinct pleasure and honor to welcome David to the podcast. So David, welcome. We're really excited for you to be here, and I'm interested to look forward to this conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.
3: So uh, just to give a little broad background of, of of ourselves, I'm going to take us back to really becoming a Christian at age 18. And when doing so, asking the Lord to um, not make me a pew warmer, but rather give me an adventurous task. I was a man of adventure. I loved to ride my bicycle. I loved to go to places other people had never gone. And I began to dream and uh uh, this was back in the '70s, um, at a time when communism was very much over the world, and so I began to dream about going to communist countries. And uh, it's a long story about uh, specifically uh, wanting to go to deeper parts of the uh, of communism that no one else had been to: Tibet, Mongolia, Siberia, which led me to get involved. In, uh, in praying for Bibles, uh, getting Bibles to that part of the world uh, it was a Brother Andrew time in Mission Impossible time when Bibles were being smuggled into those regions of the world and uh, began to pray about being involved in that. Never was, but it led me to praying for that part of the world. God had a lot to do on me first because as a single 18-year-old, I was ready to take the world. And God needed to say, okay, but I need to slow you down a little bit so that I can get my voice into your head. And uh, so I'm going to slide forward as I prayed for, uh, I, I went to a youth with a mission discipleship program. Uh, I went to Bible school. Then God had me get married and I had five kids. Okay. So I've just forward, fast forwarded. I'm now um, in my thirties and um a father of five. My wife and I had been praying for the former Soviet Union uh, for a long period of time, and the former Soviet Union begins to collapse, and uh, we had kept ourselves in a position of not being in debt, not making choices that would bind us. So in 1991, I was able to deliver the Jesus film to uh, Mongolia, Kazakhstan, take a trip to Mongolia, Kazakhstan, um, and and the former Soviet Union, uh, which was probably at that point, going through that transition of being called Russia, breaking things up. And, and uh, my wife and I, with our six kids, moved to uh, Siberia um, from Southern California, A 100 degree t- temperature change in a single day for my wife and I and our five kids. And God had all of our baggage taken away so that we would be 100 percent relying on him and the Russian people. So uh, there's a lot of story there, as you can imagine. Um, but really our passion has always been, since my wife and I were married, since I became a Christian, was getting God's word into the hearts of people, into the language they speak, in the language they dream in. I like to say the language you dream in is your heart language. And if the message is sent to you or given to you in a language you don't dream in, you miss a good part of what uh, the message is messages translated, language of the oppressor, I like to call them, right? Oftentimes like Russian would be the language of the oppressor for all the former Soviet Union. They there were 70 languages spoken there. Who's going to become Christian in the language of the oppressor? I say if the Japanese took over the US or the Germans And after World War II, fewer of us would maintain our Christianity because this could be the Christian of the Japanese. You know, it's the God of the Japanese and the God of the Germans. And that's what they said in Russia. I can't be that. That's the Russian God. Now, I have lots of dear friends who have become Christians since then in all 70 languages. Um, but it, it was an amazing, it was an amazing venture for myself and my kids.
2: Well, I was just gonna say, David, um, I have the advantage of having heard your story a couple of times and most recently at Vision Weekend. And so at unbound, we talk a lot about training and, and not not just education, but actually training and preparedness. And training to me is a little bit more holistic. Education almost always feels and thinks about academic stuff, and I think that's absolutely accurate and, and really, really important. Training is a little bit more holistic. And uh, you told a story at Vision Weekend that stood out to me as a training story.
3: Yes. As we began praying, we realized and learned a lot that most missionaries fail, fail in one of three areas. They fail because the environment they choose to go to is too harsh for them. They fail because of their interpersonal relationships with other people. And they fail because they have a mentality of saving things of their own culture when they go and they don't give up things that can be given up if one thinks about it. So we were city dwellers and we decided to go move to a cabin in Northern Minnesota. There were two cabins on the property. This was my wife's grandfather's cabins on Cabacona Lake. We could choose the nice cabin that was heated or we could choose the garage cabin which really was a summer, summer cabin. And we chose and asked if we could live in the summer, summer cabin. So uninsulated windows, uninsulated floors, uh, no fireplace. It was really a garage with walls and, uh, and outdoor toilets. And my wife and I chose to move into that cabin, learn how to make that cabin something that was comfortable enough at 30, 20, 30, 40 below zero, cut our own firewood, dip our own water out of the creek, boil our water, use outdoor toilets. My wife had her first baby at home in that, um, that place, learn how to hunt Learn how to garden, just kind of take the city dwelling life out of us, train ourselves to not let the environment or the entitlement take us out once we left. Um, also experiencing colder weather, although we had, we were northern people. Um, really, we lived way up north in, 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 Minnesota with no running water and 40 below 20, 20, 30, 40 below zero at times. So it was an experience that helped prepare us for that that avenue. The other thing that was been ha- had been happening starting around the late 70s is mission training centers began to become less and less prominent because they couldn't afford themselves uh, or it was complicated. The people that wanted to go couldn't um, afford themselves. So I say that right now because one of the things that is in our current life is, is that we're trying to create a new training center that can be used multi-organizationally to prepare people to go to the field in ways that they are not being prepared now and we're watching a lot of young people fail and the mission field because they really hadn't come prepared um we have our first ambassadors in kyrgyzstan that have gone through our program.
2: And I definitely want to come back and, and talk about that program. But so you go to garage with no running water and um, no fire. It wasn't
3: uninsulated by winter. By winter we had it insulated <laughs> and we had a wood burning stove in there and we were living on the floor and I insulated the floor and we started putting double pane windows in things that learn how to make my own double pane windows. So, so you're learning all those things.
2: And then you kind of you, you blipped over a little bit. You said you you go to Siberia. You arrive there with no luggage. You have to rely totally on God. I have had some northern exposure, but I live in Virginia. And so I'm not sure if I have a fully mental grasp of what it would be like to live in Siberia. So so just tell us a little bit about, you know, paint us a picture. What how did that connect in terms of that training? Uh, how did that connect to what the living conditions were like with, that you faced in Siberia when you got there?
3: Well, year one, we lived in the sixth floor of a, of, of, a, of a concrete Soviet apartment building with an elevator, which was the size of a, a desk chair. OK, two people, three people could get in there and you had to move all your furniture and anything you did up there. There's no moving companies. OK, uh, you move in a in, a, in a, uh, a dump truck that comes up and, you know, the Soviet building, they heat the building you have no control over your personal heat. So the inside is 40 below outside, and it's like 80, 90 degrees in your apartment because they're running hot water through it at 212 degrees to heat everybody's building. So the water will make it back to the heating station. So if you're at the beginning of the line, it's at 200 degrees or three, you know, 190 going through. If you're at the end of the line, the water is going through your house at 90 degrees and it's cold inside because it's not that much different, you know? And so you have to open windows at 40 below zero. You're letting the windows, you know, the air in. That was year number one, learning how to put put our, we put our kids in a a preschool learning Soviet systems. And they really were still Soviet. I mean, you really couldn't call them Russian at the time Uh, being in a nation, which right now, I mean I I look at our current circumstances in the United States and I and and I say to people they have no idea what this will lead to if God doesn't show up right because I lived in that when the, dollar, the the Russian ruble in one day went from buying a car to buying a Snickers bar okay uh so I know what that looks like I know what that feels like when the economy goes crazy right? And the lies and other things. But we were living in, quote, post-Soviet times, but we were in Siberia. So Moscow was becoming post-Soviet and more Russian. But Siberia was like, who cares who's in control in Moscow? You know, we're so far, we're six time zones away. So, you know, so there was that. Year two, we moved out to a village where we we ended up in an uninsulated summer cabin that we were only supposed to be in in September and ended up being in there all winter, where the water froze to the floor inside the house, where we lived in jackets. I uh, not jackets, parkas and and fur hats. Okay, um, all winter, where the water on, on our water barrel, no no running water. Water uh, we had a fifty gallon bucket, and every every morning. The water was frozen across the 50 gallon bucket inside the house, right? Um, and there's lots of stories of that. So, so we were, I mean, we say we felt like we went home. We felt like we got back to Cabacona in a funny little sort of sense, but we were identifying with the people and the people were loving us. A lot of people that go to the mission field, and I don't like to use the word imbis- missionary because it's so misused, who become kingdom ambassadors in another country failed to become like the people so that they can be received. We did that. We lived like they lived and we didn't have a lot of stuff. We had no flushing toilets, though several people in the town had them, but the, that was considered the kind of a hierarchy, right? We chose not to have one because it was more like the people we were serving, which were Iven- Ivenki reindeer herders. So David, one of the things that we say it Unbound is that, you know, we're not
2: a program for everybody. And so that if you come to Unbound, you are kind of a little bit set apart. You do things differently. And then we like to think that that means we get some different results. So you've already identified a bunch of things. I mean, you you prepared for missions very differently than most people have heard about. You know, you deliberately put yourself in an uncomfortable situation to uh, train and prepare for that. Uh, then you get to that situation and you do things differently in terms of identifying with the people Um, But then I think, you know, and this is a part of your story that I've known since hearing you speak at conferences years and years ago before we personally met that really had a major impact on me. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, But, you know, you you kind of you're already sort of you know, there's not a lot of people that are kingdom ambassadors go to other countries. There's not a lot of people who do it that way. Uh, But then there was a big change and you kind of uh, got to a point where you saw things a little differently. And that led to the creation of My Father's World. Ta- take us through that little piece. Uh, you know, you're you're in Siberia. You're working with the Yavinki people. Um, you're doing a lot of different things. And then you kind of have a, a different perspective. And that perspective change leads to My Father's World. So walk us through that part of your
3: story. We were there eight years. We were in Siberia for four, first four of the eight years. Um, we began to see. I already had the dream, but my wife didn't have the same dream of infecting other pe- other people groups. So I was already looking at many people groups. She was looking at a single people group. Ivenki. We then got introduced to the that other people groups like us were lacking scripture. They were lacking that like not like us, but the event like the Ivenki were lacking scripture. They were lacking and kingdom ambassadors. So we began praying for those. I became the the coordinator of seven of those those translations. Then we were called to Moscow. I became the coordinator of 27 translations in the former Soviet Union. Um, Then I like to work myself out of a job. And so then I replaced myself with three people in coordination. And I went into the print shop and I took the print shop from one, two people to about eight people uh, to kind of speed along getting the scripture out because it was being translated. But. And then I really discovered that the lack of sponsor was holding scripture off the off press. So I got to a place where there was a first book ever in this language called Beshta. Never in history is there a, a newspaper, uh, a book, anything, and someone had translated the Gospel of Luke and made a little dictionary for it, and it was held off press for the lack of twelve hundred dollars. And I just said, $1,200? I mean, so I began looking for sponsors. And then I said, I can earn $1,200 faster than I can find $1,200 for a sponsor. So at that point, my wife and I began to have the vision of coming back to the United States and starting businesses that would give most of their money, most of its money away. So that's what we did. We started, we, we had this little curriculum that Marie had written before we left called my Father's World, it was only a kindergarten at that point. While we were in Russia, uh, miracles upon miracles, we wrote first grade, people got excited about it. We weren't even back yet, but it was beginning to kind of grow as a little tiny business. And then some things happened and it needed somebody to lead it. And we just felt like we should go back and lead My Father's World. But we knew My Father's World was only one of many businesses. So we be- we came back to the United States It had a lot of development to do. And so for the next 12 to 14 years, we developed my father's world from a preschool, I mean, from a kindergarten all the way up through a high school, and then went back and wrote preschool for three-year-old and four-year-olds. So we wrote a 14-year program, and I was traveling to homeschool conferences. But we had made a determination on that bed in Moscow that our goal was to give a half a million dollars away annually, although we were just poor kingdom ambassadors. that's We had nothing at the time. And uh, we just uh, began, we put a target out there and we began saying we would give no less than 50% of our income from day one of our business. So we had to work and give money because we were giving our profits away, half of our profits away. We were working at the same time, but God began to bless us in amazing ways. And in 2009, we were able to pay off all of our bills. And by 2015, we were able to uh, begin giving a half a million dollars away annually. And now it's much more than that. And it's not about us. I want to make sure everybody knows this is not about us. It's about God sets out the things before us. It says in the Bible, the opportunities that he wants us to walk into. And we just believe we walked into the opportunity that God gave us and um, he prepared us for. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we went from basically people say, well, you went from missionary to millionaire. It's like, I just went from kingdom ambassador to God's steward of a lot of money. And that's really what I prefer to think look at it as is that he's provided us funding so that we can steward his money to see Bible translation in, I mean, we may be impacting up, upward to 200 languages, because we're key supporters for Pioneer Bible Translators and the Institute for Bible Translation, uh, which is two major Bible agencies, um, we completely fund one project in for Wycliffe Bible Translators on uh, friends of ours. So that's kind of what we do.
2: Yeah, and I want to you know take a moment, and as you're listening to this as a listener, he bending over backwards and tripping over himself to put the caveats in you just heard in terms of him being kingdom ambassadors and stewarding the blessings God has given him. And so it's always been in that context. And I want to set that up and I want to kind of reinforce that because uh, you come back purpose to do that starts my father's world, but then several other businesses as well. Uh, start that with a, a really, uh, you know, I, I think radical in the best sense idea of of giving and and then follow through with that. Now, I'm going to I'm setting this up because I'm going to ask you to, to be more specific because I think the scope is is helpful and, and instructive for folks. So. You've used some numbers, and I've been around you several times recently. But you have been able to give away and to fund uh, since you've started that. And you also had um, you had a chart that you put up on a slide in terms of how many uh, different translations were funded. So can you can you share some of those with us? Because to me, that was kind of an incredible story already, and that gave the you know kind of put some flesh on those bones in terms of the scale that we're talking about.
3: We don't know the exact number. We, we believe we've impacted more than, more than $20 million in, in the last 21 years. It's probably crossing towards $23 million um, that we have been able to put towards kingdom work most of that towards bible translation god has instructed us to begin giving towards uh, the idea of building or incorporating or getting a training center going the uh, when we went this organization that we were supporting Institute for Bible Translation they had three budgets they had a, a an ideal budget this is how much money we want in order to do everything that god's called us this year this is a realistic budget chances are we won't make all this money so we have to come up with something that's Realistic, and then there was survival budget. Well, the entire eight years I was there, they worked entire on un- operated entirely on a survival budget, which meant, which meant everything that was realistic and ideal couldn't be done. The difference between survival and idealistic was a half a million dollars. So that's where we got the number of come home and give a half a million dollars annually. That agency, uh, when we went back, probably it was probably about 2011 or 12, put up a slide we give almost all of our money undesignated because when you designate money, it goes to a slice of pie and it can't be moved by the leaders uh, without kind of asking you per permission. And so if a translator dies and you've given to that translation, they can't take the money for that translation and put it on another translation that's actively needing funds. So it gets, begins piling up in a bank somewhere, right? So we give it undesignated, which allows our money to move around. So what happened was one year, whatever year it was, 13, about 2012, 13, 14, somewhere in there. I went to a presentation and they had only six or eight donors there. And they said they didn't know how to thank us because they were thanking everybody by language group. And then they just put up a slide with 60, 70 languages and said, you're funding, you're, f- you're funding all but the two that we've colored. Right. So we were funding because we fund all their salaries. They move it around. They use it for pencils and desks and. And, and travel and trips and training and, and um, salaries for speakers and, you know, translators and, and editors and printers. And um, they use it for all these different things. Um, and in uh, 2015, when we reached our first half a million dollars, we had a lot of money left over, and I called another organization, Pioneer Bible Translators, and I said, hey, give me your top 20 projects that you would love to see funded, you know, at the end of this year, and they did, and uh, we were able to fund, I think, all but two of those at that time, and we've now become a key partner with them as well. In the meantime, God has raised a lot of funds for Bible translation in a variety of ways, and so He's kind of freed us, even though we're continuing to fund Bible translation. He's kind of moved us into Bible distribution, making sure that bibles are actually being distributed and you know one key way of distribution we believe is starting businesses around the world and letting those businesses be ambassador businesses where bibles can be trans- can be distributed through to their employees because a lot of places you can't distribute scripture like that without getting a context for it and people are being thrown out around the world who are becoming kingdom ambassadors but they're coming with only the what i call the t- the Tea drinking missionary mentality. I'm here to tell you about Jesus that I need to go drink tea with a bunch of people and I'm taking care of my family. And I'm just thinking, we would never listen to somebody who was in our community doing nothing but drinking tea and asking for money, right? Where do you get your money? So we really believe that the next generation of missionaries and ambassadors need to be people that are there with legitimate purpose. They've started a chicken farm, they have a greenhouse. They're training people how to do school. They're educating. They're they're doing things that change that community. And through those community relationships, how many of us would never give our life to Christ to somebody walked up to us on the street? It's one that built a relationship with over time. And if we were one of the ones that gave our life quickly, but then we looked and quickly searched out new relationships to begin to impact others. So we really want through economics and education to do that. And that's part, I mean, my father's world, to be honest with you, was nothing more. We got started for the purpose of Bible distribution to the heart of homeschool families, right? Because my father's world is focused first on a biblical foundation to on which we build history, science, art, Bible, music, character development, children's literature. Most other programs, they have all the academics, and then they try to cram the Bible in through the side door through devotions and through, you know, a a, a topic called Bible. Well, wait, Bible is history. Why isn't Bible in the history program? I mean, the history of the whole Jewish people are in the Bible, and yet we don't have a history program that allows that Bible history is read through the program. So we wanted to make it integrated and unremovable so that Bible was everything you thought about every day. And, you know, when I got to, we got to high school finally, and we said, okay, well, we won't write high school. And there's lots of times we thought about stopping at kindergarten and at first grade, at sixth grade, at eighth grade, we got to high school we really had made a concrete decision that we would just go find a good high school program. I only had one question I asked at a homeschool convention. I walked to every booth and I said, when do you read the Old Testament? And not a single person could give me that they read the Old Testament any time in high school from cover to cover. Well, probably most Americans haven't read the Old Testament from cover to cover, but we said, no, that's the foundation of our faith. So before we start another history program in high school, the first thing we're going to do is a biblical history program that reads the Old Testament from cover to cover, and we're going to put a mandatory topic in there called ancient history and literature, not just world history and literature, but ancient history and literature, so that we could get the founding of our faith established before world history and U.S. history is delved into, because that's been the battle. The battle has always been between good and evil. And that whole ancient history and we're born into a battle and history is all about god interacting with man through history i just had a question that was
1: really fascinating of how as you said there is you saw the need for a curriculum to address a lot of these issues and amen to all of that so i wanted to ask what was the transition like as you said from going from ambassadors to steward uh, I'm sure this took some time. Was there a, a specific inspiration for My Father's World, starting with the
3: kindergarten program? Well, it really was. Uh, the, the the inspiration was that when when my wife was an educator, she's the creator of My Father's World, she was beginning to look for a curriculum that targeted the weak and the strong student simultaneously so that the weak student wasn't being left behind. The strong student mm-hmm. wasn't being asked to be like a weak student in order to continue so we wanted that. We wanted to have, she wanted to teach Bible integrated into the program. So she just didn't want to have a devotion. So when she began to write kindergarten first, she said, okay, well, we need to study the letter, the 26 letters of the alphabet. So let's start with something God created for all 26 letters. So let's start with the sun and the moon, right? And the sun and the moon. And then we, let's let's talk about the light of the world because Sun starts with S. M. Start. Moon starts with M. We'll make. We'll make the sun and the moon. We'll talk about the scientific uh, aspect that the Bible says I am the light of the world. It also says Jesus is the light of the world. A kindergarten student. Nor do we as adults understand. Wait, they're both lights. So the sun and the moon are both lights. So we walk into a dark bathroom and we have a mirror and we say, okay. The mirror is a light, but if you shut the lights off, you can't see the mirror. If you have a flashlight and you flashlight it against the mirror, now you have two lights in the room. You have a mirror and the, the, the flashlight. So Jesus is the source of the light that shines through me that I am also a light. And so it's that idea that we are a reflection of the King. And so it was those th- those concepts that we took. And then we realized that most uh, curriculums don't have a Bible scope and sequence of any kind. So we started with God created the world and everything in it. He gave us his word. He wants us to live by it. Jesus is uh, the, the I am statements who Jesus is. Then we, Matthew, and he sends us to the rest of the world at the end of Matthew after working on our character in the Sermon on the Mount. And then Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, kind of uh, James and difficulties and how to get through difficulties uh, because of, you know, the way that America was started and all of the difficulties of losing so many people, but coming to a country to try to start a faith that was not oppressive uh I mean in a in a country that was not oppressive to faith and then God calls us to the rest of the world and then all of Old Testament, all of New Testament, all of church history, uh hermeneutics and and uh, apologetics, um worldview and uh and the and the disciplines of the faith. And we wanted those all incorporated. So that's our kind of twelve year scope and sequence for Bible incorporated with all of other academics from biology to calculus to you know, learning how to read all of history.
2: So, David, I appreciate hearing your story and then especially hearing about My Father's World. And again, it's been highly influential. And and uh, one of the families that showed up, I hadn't realized it, but I mentioned My Father's World. And she uh, said, oh, yeah, I think I'm going through My Father's World for the fifth time as she's taken her entire family through it. And uh, that was an interesting endorsement. Uh, this is the Kimseys, for those of you who are unbound, you know, the Kimsey family. And uh, I think the world of uh, Sam and Rachel, who have been uh, big parts of our community, Rachel, especially is in leadership positions. And uh, it was kind of fun to hear that background and realize that, that was a big part of the, um, their training and their academics. So just to kind of sort of set the frame again, um, David, you're somebody who approached training in a radically different way. Uh, you ended up going uh, as an ambassador of Christ uh, to a difficult part of the world, uh, approached that in a very different way, as you stated, worked yourself out of a job uh, saw an opportunity and and approached that in a way that was different, had a different perspective than most people would have. Um, you ended up starting a curriculum, My Father's World, that integrated the Bible in a different way. Um, I know that you run several other businesses as well that sort of incorporates that. Uh, you talked briefly about the training center that you have uh, that spreads that. Uh, you talked briefly about the training center that you have, uh, the traditional missions work that now has to do more with economics and building businesses and doing those kinds of things. Um, All of that sort of sets us up for this kind of turn I want to take in the conversation, which is I'd like you to talk less now about what you have done and kind of as you look forward, because I know from many conversations with you, uh, I see you, David, as a visionary and somebody who often has a different perspective and an unusual one, but one that I have found to be uh, sometimes scarily accurate in terms of what comes next so talk to us a little bit about some of the changes we're seeing in education. You and I have a lot of, spent a lot of time talking about this and thinking about this. And so i just like you to sort of reflect and offer some perspective. Uh, I'm considering this the biggest educational revolution that I've been through in my lifetime. Um, and so this is a, a unique time when things look very different from an educational perspective. Uh, there's new possibilities here. And I think uh, the three of us on this call, we come from the homeschool community background. I think that gives us a unique perspective. But David, you and I particularly have talked about the fact that that, that has been a blessing to us, but probably not the full answer to what comes next. So uh, if, if you would mind, just just share a little bit about your perspective and your thoughts as we are looking at a different kind of educational perspective here.
3: You know, I'm going to really start with God loves all people, but we always think our way is the only way or the best way somehow. I mean, it doesn't take very long because before I'm going to offend some homeschoolers here before homeschoolers become arrogant that everybody has to homeschool. And if you homeschool, that's a solution to everything. Right before I stopped speaking heavily at homeschool conventions, I think I could say this now. I don't think I could have said this 10 years ago. But I wanted to have a session called Homeschool is not the answer. God is. And I actually wrote the outline for Homeschool is not the answer. God is. So that kind of is the beginning of some things that I was thinking. The reality is we've always, yes, we focused on homeschool. We homeschooled our own kids, mostly. A couple of our kids did not finish homeschool. They actually finished in schools. Um, in a variety of different ways. Schools have changed radically, but the reality is education is what we're called to not homeschool. We're, co- we're called to educate 24-7, 365. If you read back in Deuteronomy, it says, teach your kids the laws of the Lord when they sit up and they lay down and when they uh, when they walk along the road, okay? Or if you go to, I think it's Psalm 78, it talks about your children's children's children, right? are impacting your children's children's children. This is education. This is, this is educating the human mind for the purposes of the king, right? In order to fulfill the king's position for you. So I want to always challenge us to say, okay, you're homeschooling. How can you help your neighbor? How can you help your community? What beyond your own school, which is very important, and those of us that can homeschool, we are blessed. In 2020, after we realized, let's say two or three months after the pandemic started, that there was gonna be a school crisis in September, it was time to all of us to say, and I'm gonna use these words, do not comply. In other words, there were laws that said they couldn't go to school because they couldn't go to school, but they needed to be educated why didn't we homeschoolers grab all of the neighborhood kids and bring them to our garage and begin educating them and starting micro schools or pod schools and then challenging our community that if you can't educate them, we will. And I've had people say, well, I couldn't do that because it's against the law. It's never against the God's law to educate children. I'm sorry. OK, that's what happened in Russia. In Russia, they they, they were... They were not allowed to educate kids, and they would go to prison if Christians educated kids because they educated them in the faith, right? And we've gone through years where woke education has been all the way back into the 60s when I was educated. All of a sudden, I'm realizing, oh, wow, I think I've been influenced by their thinking. I've been influenced by the fact that Only a certified teacher could be an educator. Hogwash. Certification has nothing to do with the gift God gave us to educate kids. So the reality is, I believe God is going to use this time to reform community education. I use the word reform. Reformation often means starting from scratch and rebuilding on a more solid foundation. So we have to get rid of some of our ideas of what education is. Education is not filling in a blank. It's not checking lists. It's not getting a report card. It, that's not education. Education is being able to retain everything that, you're, that you learn in order to use it in the future. That's true education. It's modifying the human mind. I, I, I wish I had Daniel Webster's edu- definition um, from his old dictionary of education. It's fascinating. But it's talking about reforming the mind to act in a way that is godly, right? So we we need to reform community. I use the word community because if I use the word school, all of a sudden everybody goes to buildings. If I use the word, you know, public, that Sounds it sounds like oh that's the secular part. I now have to have Christian. No, every child in your community needs education. We are called to educate. So let's start educating. So I think the future of schools are micro schools, pod schools, full-on schools. I, I think that the church needs to take on education again. Every church basement is empty. They could take almost empty. I mean, there are very few that have schools in them. It would be very easy to put two families together, three families together. We're going to have to change laws in order to do these things in a legal fashion. But in the meantime, let's get started. Let's get started reforming community education, right? Let's serve our community. You're educators. You're all homeschoolers. There's a lot of homeschoolers. You're 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 an educator. Your gift is education. What are you going to do that parent that has to have two children or two jobs and they have two children and they go to public school? And your only answer is, well, you should homeschool. And it's like we can't right now. Right. What do you do with a single mom? Half of our half of our entire population are divorced families. What do you do with that single mom that has to right? What do you do with the mom and dad who, underst- unfortunately, because of the legal system, they're fighting over whether the kids should go to school or be homeschooled? I mean, there's a there's all of these different circumstances, and we can't say, oh, well, homeschool is the answer. We need to say, and I've got a great testimony because I got a call just two days ago from a mom who was a homeschooler of eight kids, and they went through some dramatic circumstances about four, three or four years ago. She ended up seriously depressed. They went through bankruptcy. She was she was homeschooling eight kids. And all of a sudden, a My Father's World family walked up to them and said, why don't you just come to my house and I'll educate with you. That radically changed her life. Three years later, she and her family are doing well. And she called us the other day and she said, I need to buy, and I think it was uh, 12 and seven, 26, I need to buy 26 curriculums to give away to my entire community because I am going to hire teachers to teach my father's world in our community. and I am I am going to do it so free to, free of charge to these 26 families because she wanted to have a different way of doing education. And I think that's what the future is. I think the future is some people that think out of the box and begin pr- producing or creating a new way, to do community education so that we can homeschool, we can micro school, we can pod school, we can go to a, 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 a federally funded Christian school. There's four, there's, a, there's four of those or seven of those in, in Milwaukee now, federally funded Christian schools for the poor. There's charter schools that are secular, but they're wrapped in a day, um, in a before school and an after school program for working parents that is all Christian. Wow, those are all, great new models of reforming community education that I'm coming across.
2: So I think, David, you you end there and then a little bit ago you said, let's get started. And so I would just add on to that, that if you're listening to this, you're already thinking differently about a lot of different things. You're thinking differently about education. Uh, Perhaps you're an unbound student. Um, I would sort of take you, ask you to really take seriously David's words. And uh, while that's not going to be the model for my life, for your life, and, and God doesn't necessarily do repeats here, there are patterns and there are um, uh, systems that we can discern. And so I would have you sort of think seriously about what you've learned and what you've heard from David's story uh, to take seriously his admonition to think differently about education and to consider what that means in terms of you're an Unbound student, the training you've already received from Unbound and how that might apply and the advantages and blessings that give it, that's given you and how you can be a blessing to others. If you're new to Unbound and you're listening to this, uh, I'd ask you to look around in your local community and perhaps think differently and from a different perspective about education. Um, I hope you get some idea of why we value David so much, why he's been so influential in the life of Unbound and in my life personally. Uh, also want to kind of call you to to listen, to pay attention to things he's saying. And I also remind you uh, that if you're looking for a curriculum, please go to My Father's World. If you're looking for high school curriculum, uh, check out My Father's World. And if you're looking for a high school curriculum with some additional help, uh unbound specifically works with my father's world on their declare program and we provide specific coaching for the high school program and we'll provide links in the show notes to find out more about all of those things and we'd be delighted if you want to call us and talk to us about it we'll be able to uh, refer you to my father's world uh, tell you about their curriculum but also tell you how we integrate our coaching with the my father's world curriculum uh david thank you so much for being with us uh for sharing your story uh for all that you have done for Unbound and uh, for me personally. And uh, I hope that the words that you've spoken here are both a challenge and an inspiration to our listeners. Thank you so much again.
1: I definitely echo everything that Jonathan just said. Um, One quick question as we close out this episode, David, um, as Jonathan mentioned, there are a lot of us who are uh, younger students or students who are just hearing these stories of men of faith, Uh, and and being inspired to become Kingdom Ambassadors, whether on the mission fields or uh, as you've shared through education here and and in so many various ways. um, Is there something you would say, uh, a piece of advice that you would give to those uh, on the younger end who are preparing to go into the field and to serve? What would you say?
3: I would say... First and foremost, most important is your vertical relationship with the Father. Your vertical relationship with the Father, my, we have a we have a program online called journeyeveryday.com. Journey Every Day is a daily program for uh, having that interpersonal relationship with the King. Oftentimes, we get our advice horizontally from person to person and all that. That's important. Let's make sure we stay focused on our vertical relationship because he's the one that makes us unique. Um, So I would say if I were to give one piece of advice, look at that vertical relationship. Through that vertical relationship, you will discover your talents, your gifts. You You will begin to get vision. You'll begin to do things the way he's guiding you to do them. And and oftentimes it may not be what the people around you are advising because the people around you are always thinking about how they can use you in their model. But the king is oftentimes trying to get us to create a new model or a new situation through that. So whether that be in your local community, whether that be that you're involved in a, in a different kind of a national situation, whether God calls you internationally, you know, be open to what God is doing in your life and, in, and and seek the advice, seek the stories of people who have strong vertical relationships with the king rather than that they're really spending their time four or more times a week in the Bible individually with the king that are spending that time with him and learning how to relate to the king there. That's the place you're going to get the most influence for moving in the direction that one needs to. That would be my main advice. And remember, opportunities are going to come by when you start that vertical relationship. Then you don't miss the opportunities that swing by you that you never expected to come. And then you can plug into those. Connect yourself with others. Don't think you have to do everything by yourself.
1: Mm. Well, David, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been so inspirational to hear how the Lord's led you, how the Lord's blessed you and allowed you to uh, be passionate about all these things and truly make an impact. So thank you again so much for your time. Blessings to you, your family, and your ministry. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Be Unbound podcast. If you are interested in My Father's World, or any of the David's ministries, you can find him online with my Father's World's website. It is www.nfwbooks.com. Again, that's www.nfwbooks.com. You can also find the website for his Bible translation ministry, God's Word for the Nations, at gwftn.org.
0: Absolutely. And something that Jonathan mentioned there towards the end of the episode is that Unbound partners with My Father's World for a program that we are very excited about called Declare that is specifically designed to help students who are going into high school, students and uh, teachers alike, who are going into homeschool, high school, to be able to have a, an accountability framework that goes along with the My Father's World curriculum. It is a fantastic program. If you would like to learn more about it, you can visit the website at go.beunbound.us slash declare so you can find that there and if you're also interested in our higher education programs that we have talked about that we are alumni of and that david hazel and my father's world helped to support uh you can find our programs you can find our college program ascend uh, at beunbound.us ascend. And you can also find uh, our life skills course, Navigate, a 16-week online course that teaches students a model for stress-free, god undering decision-making, along with other principles to equip them to make better decisions throughout their life. You can find information about that and a free four-part video series at beunbound.us navigate. Abe, this is last but not least uh, the last episode of this season of the podcast. Man, is yes sir, been quite a ride.
1: It's been very much a journey all the way through season three.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, th- uh, this episode will be coming out towards the uh, end of November, beginning of December, and uh, we will be taking a break for the holidays and gearing up to make the next season coming up even better than this season with even more guests that will be Giving even more amazing insights into life, more conversations with our staff, more conversations with students, all of the things that have made this season amazing. And all of that will be starting in 2022. I know we've said
1: this so many times, but genuinely from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for listening along uh, the, with the podcast with all the different stories for joining us for season three. We are so excited, as David just said, for 2022, what that brings and all the stories that we get to tell on this podcast. If you are an Unbound student listening or an inbound family, you have a lot of our contact information or our social media. So reach out to us if you have ideas or Thoughts on stories we can tell, people we can interview. Uh, we are always interested in sharing stories of people being unbound, being extraordinary, the ordinary, and living for Christ. So have a good holiday season. Thank you once again, and we will see you next year. As always, stay unbound. All right, let's go. go cool. But for that record, especially Michael, you are here in Spirit Season 3. Woo! Let's go! <laughs> Let's go! Okay, so <laughs> shout out to everyone. If any, if this clip ever gets out, shout out to all the unbound staff and everybody for helping. Season three is done. Yes, sir. And
0: Stop.